So turn there with me. We'll be in verses 14 through 20. And again, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord God, we thank you once again for this morning. And as has been stated a number of times, it's uh, our last morning here at this facility. And we thank you so much for it. And as our brother Mike so aptly said, just so many things have happened here at this church. And so many blessings. We've seen salvations, new families, new church members. But we could go on and on, Lord, and seeing great miracles. We've seen weddings and funerals and baptisms within this church congregation. And we've seen it grow and dwindle and grow and dwindle. And yet, in the midst of all of it, Lord God, you constantly provide. You constantly are in charge. And I pray this morning that we would forever know that you are the one that we come here to worship. We don't come here to worship men, to worship a building, to worship a church, but it is you and you alone. So we ask that you would speak to us in a powerful way this morning as we continually look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Luke chapter 22 so this morning, I said we're going to do a special communion service, and I really think it's, it, it's appropriate for what we're doing as I prayed, because the focus of our faith should always be our Lord and Savior, no matter what happens. When you don't know what's going on in your life, the Lord and Savior should always be the focus. When you do know what's going on in your life, the Lord and Savior should still be your focus, and we should never lose sight of that. And I think in the text before us, we're going to see that the, if you know the story, it's the Last Supper, so it's a night or before Christ is crucified. Disciples aren't even aware of what's going on, but the Lord Jesus is. And isn't that true in our, our own lives, is we don't always know what's going on. And even when we think we know what's going on, it's the Lord the behind the scenes who truly knows what is going on. And in the text this morning, you will see that the Lord is going to almost talk about something that's coming and he's going to redefine it for them. It's going to take it out of the ordinary of what they're used to and give them a new meaning, a better meaning. And again, I think it's appropriate for us because as we don't know what's going to happen in our church life and the new building and all the things that are going to happen, but the Lord knows. And as we keep him central in our life, it doesn't matter what happens. So let's look at the text this morning. Again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Let's start in verse 14. So it says, when, he had, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Obviously, this is Jesus. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And we'll stop right there. So let's look at a few things here this morning before we partake in communion. And I really hope, again, 
this helps you understand what communion is and again helps us focus on the right things in our life. So he started in verse 14. Luke notes that when the hour had come. So this is a significant moment that Luke is pointing out. When the hour has come, usually when that is used in Scripture, it's talking about an appointed time that God had ordained or planned. So it's not a surprise what is about to happen in the story. It's not a time when the Lord was caught off guard. Right? It's this time that he ordained. The hour had come. So what is it? Let's continue on in verse 15. It says, And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So what's the Passover that is about to be celebrated? But Jesus says something here. He says, I've earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. Now that probably caught them off guard, even though he had been telling them. You know, the Gospels over and over. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go and suffer. And so Jesus here is telling them this is what he was looking forward to, actually. This Passover meal, because it signified so much. It was a time that he was anticipating to have with his disciples. And it was a time that was going to change the disciples' lives forever. And they weren't even aware of it yet. A time that was going to change not only the disciples' lives, but the entire world. It was going to change the meaning of everything. And it was going to change it in a good way. This event, again, was so earth-changing that it was going to keep Jesus from eating the Passover again until the kingdom of God comes. Look at what he says again in verses 16 through 18. He says, For I say to you, I shall never again eat eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then it says, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. They don't, obviously they're not going to understand what he's talking about. Passover was celebrated every year and they're thinking Jesus is going to be with them for now and forever. What is Jesus talking about that he's not going to do this again until the kingdom of God has come? That's how big this event was. And again, they might not have understood it because every year they celebrated Passover. What was going to be so different about this one? Well, it's explained to us by Jesus himself in verses 19 through 20. Let's look at that. Starting in verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus takes the bread, thanks God for it, and passes it out to the disciples. And he says, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's point out a few things here, that this bread that he was breaking is not literally the body of Jesus Christ. We need to know that. It symbolically represents his body. It's not literally his body. And some of you may come from church traditions where they teach that, that every time communion is taken and the priest prays over it, that the bread automatically now becomes the actual bread and blood, or body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Bread is used in Scripture a few times metaphorically to describe the Lord Jesus. 
Turn with me to the next gospel, gospel of John. And I'll give you an example of this in chapter 6. In chapter 6, in verses 35 and in 51, so you're going to skip down. Look at what Jesus says. John 6, verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Well, there's an example of where Jesus calls himself the bread of life, and it's metaphorical. And we don't have time to go into all that this morning, but I'm just giving you some examples of where that's used. And drop down to verse 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So there's just a couple examples of there where bread is used to describe Jesus. He's not literally the bread. Jesus came down to this earth, though, to give his body for us is what it's talking about. That's what Jesus is saying here back in Luke 22. He's saying, here's my body. It's going to be broken for his people, we're told in Scripture. Jesus was the ultimate and final sacrifice or sacrificial lamb, the one that Passover that they're participating in now pointed to. So when Passover was implemented way back in the Old Testament, it signified a great event in their past, in the history of Israel, but it also pointed to something more significant that's going to take place. And this is what Jesus is talking about to his disciples, that you're taking Passover not to remember what happened in Egypt, but to remember what's him and what he is going to do. Again, Jesus is the final and ultimate sacrificial lamb, the one, again, that Passover pointed to. A matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, you remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming. He says, he saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. He recognized who Jesus was. He was the sacrificial lamb. The angels announced in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, to Mary, excuse me, to Joseph, the angel says about his soon-to-be wife, Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Remember the Passover lamb was sacrificed, symbolically covering the sins of the people, and this is what Jesus was coming to do. That's what he was doing with his body. He was going to be broken for his people and save his people from their sins. That's good news. It's joyous news. He t- Listen to this. Jesus took the sins of his people, bore them on the cross, and what did his people get in exchange? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse, verse 21. Look at this verse. This isn't... Just an awesome verse, and it's awesome to think about this great, you know, so to speak, exchange, which we exchange, if you're the child of God, to what you've gained. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, look at this. It says, He made Him, meaning God the Father, made God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So Jesus became sin on the behalf of his people 
and his people become the righteousness of God in him. Think of that. So you go to Jesus with your sin and you give him your sin and he puts on you his righteousness in exchange. And now God sees you through his son as righteous. Who wants to sign up for that exchange program? That's awesome. So he took our sins of his people and bore them on the cross and we become his righteousness. So that's what, when we take communion, we're thinking about with this bread that Jesus' body was broken for us in place of us. On the flip side, though, is if you do not take your sin to Christ, then the absolute opposite is true. You are not righteous in Christ. You are unrighteous. Therefore, you yourself will pay for your sins and will suffer the wrath of God. That needs to be noted. Going back to our text now, as Jesus is celebrating the Passover and explaining it to his disciples again. So just reading again verse 19, and when he had taken some bread and give thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Again, Christ has given his body for his followers, and he's asking them to partake of this meal, which we now celebrate as the Last Supper or Communion, in remembrance of Christ, of what he has done for his people. But there's a second part to it. Look at the next verse, verse 20. It says, in the same way, He took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Again, the cup symbolically holds the blood of Jesus Christ, which was spilled for his people when he was crucified. The spilling of blood in the Passover, which they're celebrating, covers the sins of those people ceremonially. So every year they did that to remember that. Remember what uh, happened in Egypt when the, the lamb was sacrificed and they put the blood over the, the doorpost and the angel of death passed over the house and saved the people. Jesus in the same way. This was, again, a pointing to a greater deliverance, which we now all experience in Christ. So again, Jesus being the lamb of God is spilling his blood to cover the sins of his people. Think about how awesome that is, that when his blood covers you symbolically, what does it bring you? It brings you forgiveness of sins. Again, in Matthew chapter 26, and this is, I think, an area where Jesus is explaining or elaborating on the Last Supper here in the Gospel of Mark, or excuse me, Matthew, Matthew 26, look at verse 28. He specifically says this. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. Jesus says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So when we partake of communion, and you're remembering what Christ has done for you, when you drink the juice, remember that your sin is forgiven. For all eternity, forgiven. You never have to pay for that. Because Christ has already paid for it for you. Not only does it for, the blood have the power to forgive you, in 1 John 1, 7, we are told that His blood purifies us from all sin. So not only are you forgiven of sin, you're purified 
think of that. If you know yourself, you're like, I'm not pure, I'm not clean. But in Christ you are, once and for all. And not only that, you now stand both righteous and justified before God. Imagine that. We've all sinned, right? We all continue to sin. And guess what? We will forever sin until Christ returns. But every time when God sees you in Christ, you will now stand forgiven, righteous, and justified in Christ because you're in Christ. No matter what you've done. No matter what you're going to do if you're his. So that's something not only to remember, but to praise God for. When we sing all these praises, I hope you're realizing how forgiven you are, how justified you are, how righteous you are in him, despite our sin. And then Jesus is saying, this is that new covenant. This is a new covenant that is displayed when we, do, when we partake of communion. This is it. It's no longer keeping the law to be justified by, by God. You can't keep the law, therefore Christ has fulfilled the law. And when you ask for forgiveness and follow him, now you are fully justified. This is the new covenant. And so again, Jesus points out to his disciples that this is totally brand new. This is foreign to them. This is the first time they've heard anything like this. As he's explaining Passover in a new way. And again, keeping all the focus on him and him alone. And then there's something else I want to note, that he tells them to do this until he returns. In uh, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that. But here in our text this morning, he alludes to that in a couple of places. Uh, going back to Luke chapter 22. Remember, says he's never again shall he eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God in verse 16. And then in verse 18, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. So there's an illusion that Jesus is referring to that there's a future time when the kingdom of God will come and be fully consummated in a different way than than they expect. So communion also points to that. So when we partake of communion, we should remember and look forward to the return of Jesus Christ when he brings about the kingdom of God. And we should have joy as we look forward to that when we celebrate communion. Because we look forward to the kingdom of God, the Lord will bring the kingdom of God here to earth. The Lord, And what does that mean? The Lord will be fully present with us. For once, each and every one of us will finally see the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. That's hard to imagine. It's probably harder to explain what that would be like when we see him. But not only will we have the presence of the Lord with us fully, we will also experience a world that is not plagued by the curse of the fall. Right? Revelation chapter 21 describes this perfectly. Starting in verse 1 of Revelation 21, if you're wondering, well, what is it going to be like when the kingdom of God fully comes? Are we all going to be uh, with, on clouds and harps and angels' wings? Is that what it is? You picture Bugs Bunny floating around? Anybody, or does that just date myself how old I am? That's not what we'll be doing, thankfully. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, 
and there were no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and he shall wipe, excuse me, and he shall be, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So that's the full presence of God fully before us. Something we've never experienced before. And what does he do? And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. All, the, all those sufferings that each and every one of us deal with and will deal with in this life will no longer exist. All the curses of this world will be gone. And then he says, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, I like this part the most, right, for these words are faithful and true. This is not just a hope or a dream. We hope it's going to happen. No, he's saying, write these things down, John, for they are faithful and true. They're going to happen. And so when you celebrate communion, that's what Jesus is talking about, that one day he's going to celebrate with us communion again, but not until the kingdom of God is fully consummated. That's what we have to look forward to. In the midst of everything that goes on in our lives, if we keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what we have to look forward to. And again, as we partake of communion, that's also what we should be thinking about when we do that. So just to wrap it up this morning as we're going to get into communion now. So again, when we partake of communion this morning, let us remember these three things. Number one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, took upon himself our sins and covers us with his righteousness. Number two, the Messiah spilled his blood for us and cleanses and purifies us. He has made us perfect in him before God. And number three, we look forward to the day when we will live forever in his glorious kingdom. So now, I want to point something out. That this time, this time of communion is for those who are already his followers. So Jesus celebrated communion with his followers. And I want to point out something. When they partook of communion, that didn't make them saved, right? Because Judas was in there too. Taking communion doesn't have the power to save you. So I want you to realize that as well. But I also want you to know that this is for those who are his followers. If you are a child of God, if you believe in the work of Jesus Christ for salvation and trust in him and him alone, then this is for you. Because, again, you're remembering all that he has done for you. But if you don't believe that, then I would ask that you will respectfully not partake of communion this morning. But I would ask you this. That I, w- that I would want you to partake of communion with this. But again, only if you're a believer. And so I will give you a moment as we, as we worship before we partake that you would cry out to the Lord and realize that you need him to be, to be saved. Again, remember, Jesus took our sins and paid the price so that we didn't have to. So if you do not give the Lord your life and you repent of your sins, then you yourself will carry your sins before God and will suffer the wrath of God because your sin has not been paid for. 
And so again, I pray that you would take your sins to the Lord and allow him to forgive you, that you would believe on him and repent of your sins this morning and partake of communion as a child of God and as his follower. So this morning, we're going to do that now. Again, I pray that you would remember these three things. Again, that the Messiah took upon himself your sins and covers you with his righteousness, that he has spilled his blood for you and cleanses you and purifies you, and he has made you perfect in him before God. And then again, and lastly, that you would look forward to the day when you will forever be in Christ's glorious kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you so much for this morning. And more importantly, we thank you for what you've done for us. The ultimate Passover lamb came into this world the first time to take upon the sin of his people and suffer at the hands of ungodly men and die a gruesome death on the cross. And then three days later to rise again bodily and forever sit at the right hand of God, and will one day return and establish His kingdom. We thank You for that. And I pray this morning that each and every one of us would reflect on those things and remember those things as we partake of communion, and thank You for all that You've done. I pray also, Lord, this morning that if there's anybody in this room that has not yet believed on You, has not yet decided to receive so great of salvation and follow you, that they would do that this morning. That they would not leave this place without experiencing your forgiveness. And so I pray that you would give them the power to do this. And I pray all this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.